As followers of Christ, are we supposed to refrain from building friendships with unbelievers, or is it okay for us to be friends and associated with unbelievers? We're going to talk about that today and a lot more on BibleStudyPodcasts.org, starting now. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again. You are listening to BibleStudyPodcasts.org. Today is Tuesday, January the 11th of 2011, and I'm your host, Toby Logsdon. Welcome, and thank you so much for downloading this message today. Uh, have you noticed that today is one 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 one? That's our uh, date today. Just kind of weird. A little bit of tidbit of information. I was going to try to record around 11, 11 in the morning, but yeah, didn't work out that way, but that's okay. <laughs> anyway, God bless you guys. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope all is going well for you guys. Things are a little bit crazy over here. Uh, as I told you guys last week, we are getting ready to move up to the the greater Seattle area. We're moving up to Linwood, Washington, where I, um, I've i been called to be the pastor at Linwood Evangelical Free Church. And of course, that's really exciting. But um, the reality is that two weeks from today, we'll actually be on the road. Uh, less than two weeks from today, we'll be on the road uh, moving up there. And we've got a lot of stuff that we've got to get done between now and then. <laughs> so... Um, so anyway, yeah, we are uh, moving at breakneck speed here, but, you know, it's it's all for a good cause, and we are so excited to get up there. I can't even tell you how excited we are to uh, to get up there. So anyway, um, just one quick announcement. In case you guys missed the lesson on Friday, for some reason iTunes isn't list, uh, listing our Friday lesson on uh, on the listing for BibleStudyPodcast.org, but we did a, a lesson on refuting naturalistic atheism, and at the beginning of the lesson, we did. Um, I did announce that Caitlin, the girl that I had asked you guys to be praying for uh, a few months ago, uh, she did pass away last Thursday. The cancer that she had was leukemia. It was just too aggressive, and the doctors couldn't keep up with it. So, um, so yeah, she was transferred up to a hospital here in Northwest Arkansas from Children's Hospital in Little Rock, and uh, she was able to spend her last couple of days with family by her bedside, and uh, Thursday night, uh, around 11.40 p.m., she passed away. So uh, our prayers, of course, are with her family, and we grieve with them. Uh, it's it's tragic for a 13-year-old girl to have her life end so prematurely. But uh, she went home to be with the Lord, and uh, I'm trusting in that. Anyway, uh, we do have a lesson here to get started with today. We're going to be covering Romans chapter 12, verse 16. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 12, verse 16. We'll get started with that. But let's go ahead and start with a quick word of prayer. Father God, we do thank you so much for your word. We thank you for who we are in Christ, what you have made us, and what we're becoming. Lord, I pray that this message would continue to teach us to live selflessly, to live with your kingdom in mind and to seek first your kingdom. We love you and we give you this time as a dedication to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I imagine that so-called 
Christian television channels, which is almost like an oxymoron. But I imagine that these uh, these TV channels tend to confuse a lot of people. And I remember being a fairly new follower of Jesus myself and thinking back in the day that, you know, I should watch some of this stuff. After all, this is Christian, quote-unquote, Christian. And so I ended up being kind of confused about a lot of things. So I'm sure that the same thing happens to other people as well. Because there I was, you know, this, this young and eager Christ follower with really no idea how to read or study the Bible for myself, or I didn't even really know what the Bible taught about things like money and material wealth. And these people on TV were telling me that Jesus was rich and, you know, they were backing up with scripture. And so for that reason, you know, I should be rich too. That's what they were saying. If I'm becoming like Jesus, I should be rich too. Well, I was working part-time in a bookstore at the mall as I was finishing up college, and I came across a book written by one of these people on this so-called Christian TV network. And the bookstore would uh, that I was working, they let us read books, so I brought this book home with me, and I started to read it. Well, thankfully, I had a pastor who was uh, really interested in me. He, he really took a, a genuine interest in me, and he met with me fairly regularly. And at some point, he had asked me to have breakfast with him, and I remember him asking me what I was reading. And so I told him about this book that I was reading. Well, Pastor Steve, honestly, he was such a, a graceful person. He could have said, why are you reading that garbage? Don't you know that, that stuff is way off base? Uh, that would be my first instinct, but no. Instead, he asked if I would start reading a book called The Training of the Twelve with him, and I did. I put the other book down and started reading this Training of the Twelve book with him. Now, because I didn't get very far into this other book, which taught me that the gospel involves material prosperity, it didn't stick with me, thankfully. The sad fact is, however, that this stuff is still around. It's still alive and well in a lot of churches. And there are still people who claim that Jesus was, you know, incredibly wealthy and that if you're going to be Christ-like, that will involve us being materially wealthy as well. A little more than a year ago, CNN had an article on their website titled, Passions Over Prosperity Gospel, Was Jesus Wealthy? Really interesting article. In this article, they quote one pastor who advocates the prosperity gospel as saying, quote, Jesus couldn't have been poor because he received lucrative gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh at birth. Jesus had to be wealthy because the Roman soldiers who crucified him gambled for his expensive undergarments. Even Jesus' parents, Mary and Joseph, lived and traveled in style. And so he goes on to say, quote, Mary and Joseph took a Cadillac to get to Bethlehem because the finest transportation of their day was a donkey. Poor people ate their donkey. <laughs> Only the wealthy used it as transportation, end quote. Now, that is all obviously false. The finest transportation of the day would have involved a chariot. <laughs> I don't know where he gets all that stuff, but that's what this pastor had said. Now, honestly, when I read something like that, I, I honestly, I don't know if I should burst out in hysterical laughter, which, as you just saw, is my first reaction, or if I should pray for the guy. Well, I end up praying for the guy. The Holy Spirit convicts me because I know where I was when I had first became a Christian, when I had first become a Christian. And I could have just as easily been as easily and incredibly deceived by the prosperity gospel as this pastor had apparently been if I didn't have a pastor at the time who, A, knew that the prosperity gospel was false, and B, took enough interest in me personally 
to find out that I'd been exposed to the lies of the prosperity gospel. The fact is, friends, that Jesus and his 12 disciples may have had a little bit of money, but did you realize that Jesus was homeless throughout at least the majority of his earthly ministry? We see that Judas Iscariot served as the treasurer for the ministry of Jesus and the disciples, but does that mean, does that indicate that they were rich, materially wealthy? Absolutely not. In fact, if you think about it, it's a solid indication that they were actually very poor. Now think about this for a second. There were 12 guys going around together and they didn't have a bank account. You know, there was no such thing back in the day. And one of them, Judas Iscariot, was able to care for the finances all by himself. Now, if they had been financially prosperous or wealthy, do you think that one person alone would have been able to carry the money bag? I'm going to go with no, and I'll pass on the lifeline. That's my final answer. No, Judas Iscariot would not have been able to carry the money bag by himself if they had been rich. You know, Jesus could have chosen to be rich. I mean, John chapter 1 verse 3 tells us that he created everything that's ever come into existence. Uh, We know that he performed the miracle of feeding thousands and thousands of people with only a, a few small fish and a couple loaves of bread. He unquestionably could have created money out of thin air. He could have decided to be financially wealthy, but he didn't. He chose poverty instead. Why? Because the mission of his earthly ministry involved Jesus being humble. He cared for the poor, the lowly, the outcasts who had been pushed aside by society, and so he became one of them. Now, here in our study of of Romans, Paul spent the majority of this 12th chapter instructing us in ways of growing in Christ-likeness. And we saw back in verse 3 that we were to not think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. And if we understand our position in Christ, we have no reason to think too highly of ourselves. Rather, we're humbled because we realize that even though we don't deserve God's mercy, we've got it. We've become recipients of God's grace and thus the free gift of salvation through our trust in Jesus. That should humble us. And this is something that we absolutely must take note of, especially in light of the fact that Paul comes back to that subject, writing here in Romans chapter 12, verse 16, be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Now, why do you suppose that Paul is so quick to remind us of the importance of this type of humility? I think the scripture really does tell us why. It's because our flesh nature is self-centered, and that's a habit that isn't completely or instantly removed when we first receive and believe the gospel and thus receive the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. That habit, that tendency doesn't go away. Our selfish attitudes and perceptions stick with us. Donald Gray Barnhouse writes in his commentary, quote, Man is incurably addicted to thinking of himself as sufficient and worthy to be praised for what he is and does, end quote. And that is the truth. Now, before we go any further, let me just say that I believe that this train of thought that Paul's introducing here, this train of thought flows seamlessly from the previous verse, where Paul instructed us to what? To rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who 
weep, right? And it's no accident that a command like that is followed immediately with an instruction to be of the same mind toward one another. Now, personally, I don't like that verses 15 and 16 aren't one verse altogether, because if you're rejoicing with those who rejoice, and if you're weeping with those who weep, then you are of one mind with them, right? But if we're of one mind with our brothers and sisters in Christ, we also won't think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. To be haughty in mind is to think too highly of oneself. It means that a person is eager to take credit for their accomplishments and take a holier-than-thou attitude toward other believers. It means they want the glory instead of passing the glory and the credit on to the Lord. Jesus told a parable which involved a religious person who had a haughty mind. Starting with Luke chapter 18, verse 10, Jesus says, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And of course, tax collectors were bad, and the Pharisees were the religious people who thought very highly of themselves. So he continues, The Pharisee stood and was praying to himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And Jesus concludes this parable, which I'm sure was based more on his perception than it was on his imagination. So he concludes this parable by saying, I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. See, the one man, the Pharisee, thought that he had earned and therefore deserved God's grace. And who's he praying to? It says that he's praying to himself. He's praying this to himself. The other man, a tax collector, realized that there was nothing he could do to earn God's grace and that he'd never, ever be deserving of it on his own. And of course, he's praying to God, not to himself. See, there's a world of difference between these two men, sociologically speaking. One is viewed by society, by people in general, as righteous, and the other is hated by just about everybody. See, tax collectors were really kind of disgusting people. The Roman Empire would basically tell them to collect a certain percentage of tax from the people, and whatever they could manipulate, whatever they could beat, or whatever they could threaten out of a person on top of that was theirs to keep. So they really were some heartless, ruthless people. But God could see what was going on in the hearts of these two men. And whether they received grace or not was based on what? It was based on their self-perception. One was haughty of mind. The other saw himself for what he truly was a sinner, and was experiencing heart-wrenching regret and repentance over that fact. If you've ever wondered whether or not we should have associations with the lowest elements of society, this is a reminder that our call is to be in the world, but not of the world. That is, we're expected to intermingle with unbelievers. Paul clarified this issue in his letter to the Corinthians, where he wrote, Quote, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world or with the covetous and swindlers or with idolaters, for then you would have to go out of the world. But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler. 
not to even eat with such a one. That's from 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 through 11. So yes, we're to be out in the world, but not of it, developing friendships which will serve as bridges to the gospel. The people Paul warned us about associating with are the people who live like sinners and yet claim to be Christ followers. Now, Paul quickly follows this up, this instruction that we're not to be haughty in mind, with an instruction for us to associate with the lowly. Now, if you're reading from the King James translation, the King Jimmy translation, you'll see that it says to condescend to men of low estate. That word condescend has actually changed its meaning since 1611. See, today, to condescend means to look down on people as if you're higher or better than they are, but its ancient meaning was to waive the privilege of rank or dignity. That is, to to bypass or to release the privilege of rank or dignity. The Greek word is the word that we get our word sympathy from, and it's only found in three places throughout Scripture. Now, when two people fall in love with one another, we might say that they get carried away with each other in the sense that one is willing to yield to the other and does so willingly and joyfully. This phenomenon is uh, one of the leading causes of future regret, by the way, but it is something that really does happen. And that's actually exactly how this Greek word gets translated in Galatians chapter 2, verse 13, where Paul says that Barnabas had been carried away by this legalistic hypocrisy, meaning that he had gone along with it, even though he should have known better, even though he knew that it was contrary to the gospel. And Paul tells us that this was a movement that even Peter had given into. And that's why Paul confronted Peter face to face. Peter himself actually used the same word when he warned the Christ followers not to be carried away with the error of the lawless. That's from 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 17. So that's what this means. It means carried away. That's what associate means. So when Paul tells us to associate with the lowly, he's actually encouraging us to get carried away with ministering in a humble way. If we're to become like Christ, we should remember that this is something that Jesus taught us. The disciples had expected the Messiah to be this king who would have demanded to be served, but Jesus said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's from Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. In Mark chapter 10, verse 35, we read, quote, James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus saying, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Now, time out. Wow, that is bold. They're basically saying, Jesus, you're going to be our puppet here. We're going to tell you what to do, and you just trust us and do it, okay? Anyway, so Jesus replies saying, what do you want me to do? And I'm pretty sure that he knew that they were up to no good. So they say, grant that we may sit one on your right and one on your left in your glory. And again, this is so audacious, so bold. It's almost comical, right? How do you think the other 10 disciples felt though? See, they heard this. And so in verse 41, Luke tells us that the other disciples were feeling indignant. And this leads up to Jesus calling all the disciples together and telling them, whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. That's from verses 43 and 44. Well, way to be a conversation killer, Jesus. But you guys get the point. He's teaching selflessness. He's teaching humility. Jesus not only taught the importance of humility and having the heart of a servant, but he also modeled it. He demonstrated it for us as well. On the night of his betrayal, what did he do? He took the lowly position of washing the smelly, dirty, calloused, 
crusty feet of the disciples, a job that was reserved for the lowest of the slaves. And in fact, he even washed the feet of Judas Iscariot, even though he already knew that Judas was about to betray him. He demonstrated a humble spirit by even washing the feet of his enemy. Now, if we take a look at the rich, lavish lifestyle of the people we see on so-called Christian television, we should instantly notice that they love being served. They buy and travel in expensive jets so that they can do what? So that they can avoid people as much as possible. They have gates around their homes to keep people out. Never mind the fact that these people go to great lengths to isolate passages of the Bible here and there and to twist the meaning of this and that verse to make the Bible say whatever they want it to say. The fact that their lifestyle is one of being served rather than serving is a clear indication that the prosperity gospel is false. Finally, Paul instructs us, do not be wise in your own estimation. And this is actually a quote from Proverbs chapter 3, verse 7, where Solomon wrote, Do not be wise in your own eyes. For one, to promote the prosperity gospel requires that one blatantly defy the instruction to be carried away with humble ministry. The humble person never comes across as conceited. Conceit is contrary to the very essence of humility, and thus the humble person will know better than to think that they're wise. Honestly, the truly wise person realizes that they're not wise at all. They're perfectly aware of their own personal faults, their own personal failures that others all tend to overlook or fail to notice. And that's what keeps a person who is truly wise humble before God. We have to remain mindful of the fact that Jesus didn't come to save the high and mighty. He came not to save the righteous, but the repulsive. He looked upon the dirtiest and the most disgusting people of his time, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, and he saw people who needed him and who were worth dying for. How dare we ever think that anyone is too lowly or too dirty for the healing hands of Jesus to reach out and touch through us, through our lives. See, this is just another reminder that the life of the Christ follower is characterized not only by devotion to Christ, but also to sheer, utter selflessness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for everything that you've done for us. We did not deserve your grace. There was nothing that we could do to set things straight between you and us. But you sent your Son to pay the penalty for our sins and to set things straight between us and you. God, we thank you for that. God, we are humbled just to know that there was nothing that we could do, but that it was just a free gift that you gave us out of your love and your compassion for humanity. God, I pray that you will give us a mind and a spirit of humility just like Christ had. Teach us to be like him. Teach us to walk in his footsteps and to have the same perception of people that he had. Help us to love people the way you love people, even the people that we might see as being dirtier or lower than ourselves. God, we can do these things because we love you and we know that you would reach out to them and you want to do that through us. So teach us to do that, Lord. I pray that you'll enable us and strengthen us to do so. Open our eyes to see the opportunities around us, Lord, in this hurt, dying world. Thank you so much for this time, Lord. We do thank you that your word speaks truth into our world today. 
We love you, and we pray that you will bless and protect this message. In Jesus' name, amen. This message has been brought to you by BibleStudyPodcast.org. We are a listener-supported ministry. If this is your first time listening to us, we thank you so much for joining us, and we ask nothing further from you. But if this is a ministry that you rely on for regular spiritual teaching, we do depend on your financial support to keep us going and growing. If you'd like to make a donation to BibleStudyPodcast.org to keep us going and reaching thousands of people around the world, you can go to our website, BibleStudyPodcasts.org, and you can make a donation on the right-hand side by clicking on the support box. Again, we do rely on your support, and we thank you so much for your financial participation in this ministry, which enables us to continue in our mission of teaching timeless truths in these truthless times. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening today, and keep growing closer to Jesus. Worshippers, we are love, set worshippers in our hearts.